pretty much on whatever level you're at spiritually, I think he's going to have something to say to you this morning. When we gather, we don't gather just to come and sing songs and play games. I know that there are people here who are hurting. And no matter the look that you put on your face, I know that you're going through. And I take this as an honor and a privilege to stand before you and declare what I believe God would have me to say to you this morning. And I pray that you find it as an encouragement. If you would, stand if you would, if you can, as we prepare to reverence with the reading of God's word. Before we do, let us declare what we came here to do that we can let the enemy know and profess what it is that we're seeking for God to do. Let us read our Declaration of Transformation. Today, I will be transformed by the power of God's Word. It defines me and empowers me and enriches me as I apply it to every area of my life. My mind is open. My heart is receptive. And I surrender my will to the Holy Spirit's control. I will never be the same in Jesus' name. Amen. Turning your Bible to Ephesians chapter 6. As we prepare to hear what God is going to say this morning, I tell you in advance that some things that are said this morning may be a little shocking. It may be a little hard to understand. But I promise you that if you cling to it, the word of God is true. And it doesn't matter whether or not you understand it or not. The issue is we need to believe and obey it. Ephesians chapter 6, we've been in a series on spiritual warfare. They were talking about warfare in the heavenlies. If you don't know that and if you don't believe that, then I think in some ways you may be a little spiritual ignorant. And that's not meaning to be offensive to anyone, but the Bible is teaching that there is a war going on in the heavenlies. And we've been talking about that for many weeks now. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, beginning at verse 10, he says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. You are to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wild strategy schemes of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand for having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith which you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Let us pray. Father, thank you. Praise you for this opportunity to come. We declare Jesus Christ as Lord. In his name, there is power. And we know that he has given us the victory. And so we just profess this victory in this place right now. Holy Spirit, we ask that you come 
have your way. Open our eyes in the name of Jesus. May everyone that walk in walk out a little different, Lord God, by the power and change of your spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name. We pray. If you agree, say amen. And amen. As you take your seat, just look next to you and just give somebody a high five. Just tell them good morning. Love on them. Give them a hug. In February of 1990, in Tokyo, Japan, at the Tokyo Dome, that one of the greatest upsets in sports history took place. Mike Tyson, you may remember at that time, who was 37 and zero, was fighting a man named James Buster Douglas, who at the time was 29 and four, and what everybody thought would be a brief knockout. You have to remember that at that time, Tyson was destroying everybody he fought, just utterly destroying them. Generally, within the first three rounds, he was generally knocking everybody out. I think in, out of the 37 wins, he probably knocked everybody out in those fights. And because of this, he struck fear in all of his opponents. The truth of the matter is most of his opponents lost the fight before they ever got in the ring. The reason why was many of them had bought into the thinking that Tyson was invincible. They brought into the thought pattern that Tyson was so bad and he was so invincible and that nobody could beat him. And because of this, they began to become fearful even before they got into the ring, which stopped them from doing their best and rising to their full potential. Tyson was known as this roaring lion that was walking around looking for somebody to devour. But James Buster Douglas was a little different. He had done his homework. He had studied the film. He had suited up for battle and had put on confidence. And against all the odds, he had something to where he just believed he could win. The odds were 42 to 1 that he was going to lose that fight. And I have to believe that the one was probably James Buster Douglas and his family. But everybody else thought that he was going to lose that fight. But he had confidence. He didn't buy into the thinking that Tyson was invincible. And we all know that he went into the round and he won. And after he knocked Tyson out, Tyson was never the same. He had been exposed and no longer was seen as being invincible. Because of the defeat by James Buster Douglas, Fighters all across the world begin to see Tyson as not being a roaring lion, but as somebody who could be defeated. Now, this story illustrates an important part, which I want to talk to you about today. And that is the way you think about something can be the difference between victory and defeat. The way you think about something can be the difference between your victory and your defeat. The Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 20, 23, verse 7, he says, For as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. The way that you think in your heart determines everything about you. It has been said that your thoughts leads to your words. Your words lead to your feelings. Your feelings lead to your behavior. Your behavior leads to your habits. Your habits lead to your character. Your character eventually forms and shapes your destiny. 
Let me say that again. The way you think determines how you speak, and how you speak determines how you feel. How you feel generally determines how you act. The way how you act generally forms habits. Your habits then eventually lead to character, and your character eventually shapes your destiny. If you think that you have a disease that is fatal and that you're going to die, how many know that that determines everything about you? If you think that you have a disease and that you're going to die, it affects the way how you speak, the way how you feel, and the way how you act. Some people walk around after they receive the pronouncement from a doctor of a death wish, literally thinking that they're dead. And it shapes everything about you. If you think that somebody is against you, even though they may not be against you, how many know that that determines everything about you? The way you think determines everything about you. Satan is aware of this. And so he created a whole world system designed to control how we think. The news station that you watch on television is designed to shape how you think. Come on, somebody. If you watch Fox News, it is designed to shape how you think about issues. If you watch MTV on TV and BET, those programs are designed to shape how you think about different issues, how you think about homosexuality, how you think about promiscuousness. It, it shapes how you think. All of us know even television commercials and, and shows on television shape how you think about things. We all know about mayhem, don't you? The all-state man on there talking about mayhem all the time. And how many of you know that he, what he's doing is they're designing and shaping the way how you think about insurance so that you would go out and buy insurance, right? The way how you think determines everything about you, and therefore it's the same way with spiritual things. Listen, I'm headed somewhere. The way you think about spiritual things also determines things about you. The way you think about God and the way how you think about demons and the way how you think about faith shapes the way how you talk. It shapes the way how you feel. It shapes the things that you do. And so Paul tells us in Ephesians, if you got your Bible, verse 17, he says, because of this, you need to take up the helmet of salvation. That's what we're talking about today. He says you need to take up the helmet of salvation. Now, to understand what he's talking about, remember, he, he used the imagery of a Roman soldier. The Roman soldier back during that time used to wear a helmet. It was a leather thing that they put on their head that was generally covered with strips of metal. Sometimes it would be covered with bronze. And this helmet had one primary purpose. The purpose was to protect your head. It was to protect the brain. You could take an injury to your arm or to your leg, but they know during that time that if you took a shot to your head, that most of the time that was going to be fatal because it would affect your brain, which controls the way how you think, which eventually would control what you were being able to do. Listen, our brain controls our thoughts. Proverbs 27, 23 and 7 says our thoughts control us. Therefore, if someone or something can control or influence your thoughts about something, they can control what you do, what you say, and how you feel. 
Anybody ever been having a really good day and then somebody came and said the wrong thing and you started thinking about that and you were headed up, but then all of a sudden you came back down? Your thinking, the way you think about something, determines everything about you and how you live. Because of this, he has created some things that God says that we need to put on. He says that we must put on the helmet of salvation. Somebody say the helmet of salvation. He says put on the helmet of salvation. What is salvation? Salvation is the Greek word, hear me, it is the Greek word deliverance. It is to mean to deliver. So what he says is there is something that God has delivered you from that when you put it on, it acts like a helmet that protects the way how you think. Anybody hear what I'm saying? There is something that you need to put on. There are things that God has delivered you from that when you use them, notice he uses the word, he says, take up. In other words, you got to pick it up and use it. The first through three pieces of weapon, he says, having put on. Listen, the belt of truth, the, the, the gospel of peace, and the breastplate of righteousness are things that you put on and you carry with you all the time. You need to carry truth with you everywhere you go. You need to carry righteousness with you wherever you go. But then he says that there are some things that you have to pick up and use. Dr. Tony Evans uses the illustration of like a baseball player. They wear and keep on all the time the uniform and the shoes. But when they get up there, sometimes you need to pick up the bat and the glove that you need to use. He says that you have to take up this helmet of salvation. Salvation is the Greek word that means deliverance. It means to deliver. So there are some things that God has delivered you from that when you use them, you are allowed or able to stand against the devil that's attacking Okay, so what are these things that God has delivered us from that allows us to withstand and fight the devil? Now, before I get to them, let me first just take a moment because the majority of this message is to glorify and honor God. Let me tell you something. Before, if you've been with me in this series, I got to take a moment because Satan has, I've, I've, if you've been following me, you may have gotten the impression that Satan is stronger than he is. So in other words, throughout this series, I've been telling you about how much of a worthy adversary Satan is, that he was an archangel and that he was strong. He was perhaps the strongest angel that God had ever created and that he's always looking to attack and he's always seeking opportunity to come in and, and to get you and influence and do all these different types of things. And if you're not careful, you can begin to believe that Satan is some big, strong ally that he can't be beat. But the truth of the matter is to us. There is no way Satan can be beat, but compared to God, he is like a mouse on the floor to a mighty lion. Hear what I'm saying? See, all before I've been talking about how strong Satan is and all what he can do, but compared to God, he is already a defeated foe. So when we talk about Satan and his attacks, you don't have to fear Satan because as long as you got God on your side, you have already won the victory. He's not strong enough. He's strong for you, but he's not strong enough for him. In fact, the Bible tells us in Revelation chapter uh, 20, verse 10, that the devil has already been sentenced and judged. And look what's going to happen to him. Revelation 20, verse 10, it says the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake and lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are 
and there they shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. So first thing I want you to see is if there's someone, if you've been delivered from something, there must be someone who is stronger than what has you bound that delivered you. And see, the things that I'm about to tell you that God has done for you, remember, God is so much greater than Satan, he delivered you and there was nothing that Satan could do to stop it. Okay, so what is it that God has delivered us from? Now listen, the three things that I'm about to tell you, okay, there is something for each and every person in here, okay, but you have to grasp it based off of your level. Okay, so the first thing that I'm going to tell you that he delivered you from is something that's very basic and fundamental to the Christian faith, but I find that most people aren't walking in it, and it keeps you bound, okay? Watch this. So the first thing that God has delivered you from is from your sin. Watch this. Now, for some of you who've been into the church for a long time, this may pass you, but you have to remember as a pastor, I never know who's in the audience. And so there may be some people in here who are struggling with your past and struggling with your sin. And I come to let you know that God has delivered you. Come, when you come to Christ and give your life completely to him, the first thing I want you to know is he has completely delivered you from your sin. Okay, why, why am I saying this? Because many times what the enemy will do is, how many know that the devil will always come back and bring up your past? See, there are some of you in this audience who have done some things in your past, and they're bad. Listen, you may even be doing it now. But can I tell you something? When you, when you grasp this fundamental truth about Christ, okay, you see how much he loves you, and you run to him rather than running away from him. Watch this. Watch this. Christ so delivered you, I want you to think about what I'm about to say. Before you were ever born, before the world was ever created, Christ had already determined to save you. Man, listen, when I grasped this, it changed everything about Christianity. Before you were ever created, before the world was ever created, Christ knew you, and he already determined he was going to save you. Where did I get that from? In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, I believe we have these on one of the screen. Listen to what this says. Blessed be God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Watch this, verse 4. Just as what? He chose. Do you see that? Who chose? God chose what? Us in him. Who is him? In Christ. He chose us in him or Christ. What? Before the foundation of the world. What? That we should be holy and without blame before him in love, what? Watch verse 5. Having predestined us to adopt 
son as what? By Jesus Christ to him according to what? His good pleasure of his will. Boy, when you catch what God has done, listen, the devil wanted to destroy you, but God had already chose according to his will who he was going to save before you were even born and the world ever came to existence. Wait a minute now. Why am I saying that? Because, see, you got to understand when you came to Christ and you gave your life to him, he already knew what you were going to do before you did it, before you were ever created, before the world ever even got here. Wait a minute now. Don't just say amen. I want you to understand what I'm saying. If he chose you before the world ever was created, he had to know about you or what you were going to do in order to choose you. So whenever the devil comes and throws up all this stuff in your face about what you've done, you ought to be able to say, I know God already know about that too. See, he did, listen, Satan is so outmatched, he is so overwhelmed by the awesomeness of God, he was so dumb, he didn't even know what he was doing when Christ was dying on the cross. He didn't even know that what he was doing and thinking he was doing was actually fulfilling the plan of God. Why do I say that? Because in 1 Corinthians 2 and 8, it says, which none of the rulers of this age knew for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. God chose you before you were ever born. And they didn't even know that what Christ was doing on the cross was what was going to bring it to pass. Listen, what was Christ doing on the cross? For you who are struggling with your past, understand what Christ did on that cross. Colossians 2 and 13 says this, and you being dead in your trespasses, that means sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, that means you are not a Jew. Jew was a sign of the circumcision of the Jew. It was a sign of the covenant with God. It says he has made you alive together with him. What does it say? Having forgiven you all trespasses. Do you see that? We've talked about this before. All means what? Man, let me tell you something. When you really get that revelation, the devil can't control you. It's almost like you've been hiding something for so long. How many of you know that takes more work to hide something than if you just went ahead and just say what it was? God has already forgiven you who are in Christ all of your trespasses. Verse 14, having wiped out those requirements that were against you, which were contrary to us. Listen, he has taken them out of the way. And what was he doing on the cross? Every last one of your sins, he was nailing them to the cross. When they were nailing them spikes into his hand, they were nailing every last one of our sins on that cross 2,000 years ago. Watch this. So if your sins are nailed back there, why are you still carrying them? 
Why are you allowing sister so-and-so to put all that guilt on you? Why are you running away from God as though he don't know what it is that you've already done? Listen, he's saying, I've already know what you've done. I knew it before you were ever created. Come to me. Listen, I want you to see this. Turn in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 10. Look at Hebrews chapter 10. I want to make sure I lay this down. I got to do it quickly. Hebrews chapter 10. He's already forgiven you of all of your sins. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11. This is the New Living Translation, so it may read a little different, but hear what God has done. He's already taken care of them. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11, it says, under the old covenant, somebody say old covenant, the priests stood as ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sin. Our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins. Do you see that? Jesus offered the sacrifice one time for sin. This says good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. Verse 13, there he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his foot. And that one offering he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. Oh, I don't know if you got that. He didn't say those that are holy. He said those that are being made holy. That means even when you come to Christ, how many know that you're still in the process of being made holy? Spiritually in the heavens, you are perfect before God. But when you're on earth, how many know you're still working through some stuff? So that means even in the church, there's still some people struggling with some things. He says, and the Holy Spirit also testifies, for he says, this is the new covenant I will make with my people on the day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their heart. I will write them on their minds. Then he says, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. Wait a minute. So if God doesn't remember them, why are you carrying them around? Watch this. What's the point of what I'm saying? See, the enemy uses your past to control you. And some of us aren't doing what we need to be doing in the, lo in the Lord because you're stuck back in your past. But I've, I've come to encourage you that God came to deliver you from the past. Stop letting that divorce control your life now. Boy, ain't no church people said amen at all on that one. Stop letting the fornication that you did for the last 15 or 20 years control what you do for God now. Can I tell you something? He already know that you did it. You can't move forward in what God has for you living in your past. Paul, the apostle who wrote most of the New Testament, had persecuted the church and killed and murdered people. And one of the things that he found out, which he tells us in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 and 13, he says, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended or achieved something, 
But this one thing I do. Here's the instruction. Forgetting those things which are behind. I can't change those things. Forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forward to those things that which are ahead of me. Stop allowing your past to keep you from doing what God has called you to do ahead of you. You've already been delivered for that. But, Pastor, you don't understand. I failed. I know you failed. Everybody in here has failed. Paul messed up big time. He says, stop looking back at the back of you and start reaching forward to those things that are before you. He says, verse 14, I press toward the goal for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And in verse 15, he says, therefore, let us as many as mature have this mindset or this way of thinking of not dwelling in your past and letting that control you. But where are you going now? You ever seen people like that just controlled by their past? They're always talking about what they did. I understand that. That's done. What are you going to change now? God says, first thing, I've delivered you from your sins. Watch this. The second thing is, and this is for everybody. Here go the mature Christians right now. You say, well, pastor, I understand that. Here's the mature Christian right now. Not only did he deliver you from your sin, he's delivered you from the power of sin. Watch this, because how many know that when you get saved and you try to live right for Christ, it's hard to live right for Christ. Come on, somebody, don't look at me with that sanctimonious Holy Ghost fields look you got on your face. The truth of the matter is, can I get one young person to look at me and be honest and say, Pastor, you got it right? When you get saved and you're trying to live right for God, it ain't always easy. Your background, the sin, the thing that you were in is still tugging at you all the time. Here's the thing that I want you to understand is even when you come to Christ, he delivers you from the power of sin. Boy, I hope you get this. Listen, the power of sin. Watch this. Romans chapter six. Verse six, he says, knowing this. Somebody look at your body. Look at somebody say knowing. knowing. Listen. Knowing. Listen to what I'm saying. Listen. He said, knowing this. There's something you need to know. Listen. Some of us have been struggling with things for a long time, and I've come to bring something to your thinking. There's something you need to know. Paul says, you should know this. What is it that you should know? He says that our old man was, it was crucified with him. Why? That the body of sin might be Watch this, that we should. Do you hear that? He says that you should no longer be slaves of sin. Why? For he who has died 
has been freed from sin. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Don't uh uh uh. Don't let that be uh 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 uh. Listen, you done got out your bed and came to church to hear. No, 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 no. Don't miss the part. We're going to deal with the baby. God loves the baby. Praise God. Take care of that deacon. Hallelujah. Amen. But don't let that devil miss. Don't let that baby, excuse me. Don't let the baby. See, how many know Satan will cause confusion to get the main thing to miss it? Uh uh. Uh uh. Not today. No, 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 no. Not today. Uh uh. The baby is blessed. God blessed the child, but we came here to get this done. Watch this. He says that you are no longer a slave to sin. Do you see that there? He said your old man was crucified. Your old nature should be crucified so that you are no longer a slave to sin. Listen, your bad habits, those sinful things, your, your addiction, pookie, Tyrone, Tarantula, all the ones that you just can't seem to let go. Come on now, wait a minute. If we're going to come to church, can you just be real? The realness of it is some of us are leaving church and you know you're going back home. And the truth of the matter is, you know when you leave here, you're going back home to the alcohol bottle. Why? Watch this. This is what I'm talking about. Because you can't, you can't put it down. But listen, he says, he's, when you catch this, he says, you are not a slave to sin. Why? Listen, why are you not a slave to sin? Watch this. Listen, don't, don't miss this. You're not a slave to sin because sin doesn't own you anymore. Man, when I got this, listen, sin no longer owns you. God does. Watch this. Uh, Titus chapter 2 verse 13 says, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Verse 14, who gave himself for us. What does it mean to give himself? What is he talking about when he say he gave himself for us? He died on the cross and gave up himself for us. Why? That he might redeem us from every deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Watch this. He gave himself up. Why? That he might redeem us from every evil or lawless deed. Redeem. What does redeem mean? It, it means to purchase. It means to buy something. What you may not understand is, is that when Jesus got on that cross, he legally bought you. You, you don't understand. Listen, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, you've heard this said before, it just may not have clicked. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19 says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? You're not your own. Verse 20, for you were bought at a 
He said, you were bought, redeemed. See, one of the things that you got to understand is, is that ownership of your soul has changed. What used to own, see, and this is what the enemy don't want you to see. What used to own you don't own you no more. See, Pookie and sin used to own you, and therefore it could tell you what to do. But when you came to Christ, he legally paid the price to buy you from the power of sin. Watch this. And because he bought you, sin no longer has the ability to tell you to do anything unless you allow it to tell you. You know, when you, gosh, my time is already gone. You, you realize that when you buy a house, all right, and you buy it from the builder, the builder owns the house. And as long as the builder owns the house, you can talk about whatever you want, but you can't go in that house and change the carpet. You can't go in there and change the drapes. You know why? Because the builder owns it. But how many of you know that once you put that money on the table, and you, the, the, the paperwork go through and you get the title deed and now you own the house, uh, the builder can't come in and tell you anything what to do in that house no more. In other words, once you own the house, you can go in there and do what you want to do, but the builder can't make you do anything. Watch this. Some of us haven't recognized, listen, that you have been legally bought and purchased from sin, and sin no longer has the right to force you to do anything unless you allow it to do it. Now, here's the thing. How many of you know, I got I to close because my time is already going, but here's the thing. How many of you know that even though you've been purchased, you, you say, well, pastor, I've been trying to stop, but I can't stop. God says you've been set free. I know God said I've been set free, but I still can't stop. But God says you're set free. But you say, but I still can't stop. Why can't I stop? How many of you know that just because you've been set free doesn't mean that the enemy is going to let you go free? Uh-uh. Man, I wish I had more time, but here's the thing. We're going to get you out on, on time. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I know I'm coming, brother. I'm coming. Here's the thing. We're we going to honor the time. We'll come back to this later. You've already been set free. Wait a minute now. See, some of you are thinking that Even though God has freed you, that it doesn't really apply to you because it's such a struggle. But see, the Bible says that you have to learn that it's a fight. He says, fight the good fight of. And when you see, this is the whole nature of spiritual warfare. Everything that we've been talking about, the more you try to do good, the enemy is right there to pull you back and say, no, 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 no. You can't do that. Right. The, the struggle is, even though you've been delivered and set free, if I previously owned, anybody ever dated somebody and, and they had you for a while 
They had you hooked. Come on, somebody. You, yeah, y'all know what I'm talking about. Don't look at me like that. He had you hooked. Tyrone had you at the tip of his finger. If he lifted his finger, you were running to the store to go get him something to eat. Watch this. And then at some point, you got over Tyrone. And you start to realize that life was bigger than Tyrone. Watch this. And when Tyrone saw that he, you had got over him and that you were walking away from him like this, what did he start doing? Here's the thing. Here's the encouragement. The struggle you're facing trying to live for God doesn't mean that you haven't been set free. It's just an indication that the enemy doesn't want to release you. And you got to fight for it. See, some of you are expecting it to be easy, and it's not going to be easy. You remember when they, I got to close. You remember they closed Jim Crow in the Deep South? And they changed the laws, and they reversed segregation. And then minorities was allowed to go to schools that were formerly segregated. Well, how many of you know that not everybody in certain communities agree with that? And even though they were now free and allowed to go to that school, how many know that they had to fight every day when they went into them classrooms? That as they, them little children were walking into the school, you had people who, who were supposed to be Christians yelling and screaming at them the whole time. We don't want you here. You don't deserve to be here. Get out of our school. And they were yelling and screaming the whole time. But how I many you know that as long as they stay focused on what God had given to them, what the law has said, it didn't matter what everything else said. See, watch this, and you're free. It's just a struggle. Watch this. That's why the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says that you must take captive every thought unto the obedience of Christ. That means as you start trying to do what God has said, the enemy is going to bring something that's contrary to what God said, and you have to take, he didn't say God will take captive. Oh, the amens went down on that one. He didn't say Jesus was going to come down and take captive the thought for you to go to Pookie House tonight. Man, man, let me close, because y'all, y'all don't even want to say. Listen, here's the thing. The fight has to be done by you. Here's the encouragement. See, the the devil has been selling a bunch of us wolf tickets. Y'all remember what wolf tickets are? I got to close, but when I was growing up, people who couldn't fight always used to be selling wolf tickets about they could fight. They would always be talking about what they could do and who they beat. They beat up somebody who was 350 pounds. Nobody ever even heard of the person. Where he at? Well, he's he someplace else and all that type of stuff. Listen. 
I'm going to tell you this, and I, I know I got to close. I found out that God is stronger than whatever has you bound. I grew up in a home that was full of, let's, let's say, on my father's side, there was a very strong anger spirit there. If you know Jones men, and maybe even some Jones women, I don't know, but if you know a lot of Jones men, they are known for having a very angry disposition. When they speak, you tend to think that we're angry. Some of you may think that I'm angry right now by the way I'm talking. I don't even know. They, they, they say that it's in our voice. <laughs> and I grew up thinking that that's just the way it had to be. That that's just the way how Jones men are. It's a Jones trait. That's just the way how it is. That's just the way how we're wired. And that lie, that sin had sold me a ticket that I couldn't get away from that anger, that I was always going to be irritable. But how many know that when you find out about the blood of Jesus Christ, I found out that I don't have to be that way, that I don't have to sound that way, that I don't have to respond to my wife that way, that I don't have to treat my children in that tone. But every day it's a fight. Every day I wake up. Listen, it's a, every day I wake up, I am, sometimes I've said this before, you will see me talking to myself. And I'm not talking to myself, I'm talking to that devil and everything that's trying to influence what I do. You will find me quoting scriptures on the word of God about anger. I will not do that. I cast you down in the name of Jesus Christ. I refuse to allow you to control me. And it is a constant warfare. Some of you are trying to live the Christian life, but you don't want to fight. You're scared. Look at your neighbor and say, don't be scared. You got to learn to set up, show up your set. Y'all know what we used to call it? Some of y'all don't even know what a set is. Boy, Jay, I'm going to have to use to come on up. You got to learn to put up your set. And when the devil comes to you with that thing of what you need to do with your husband or that co-worker that you don't like, you got to cast down those thoughts. I, I got to close. Father, in the name of Jesus, God, we pray and just ask for your blessings. I pray that something that was said will be an encouragement to someone here. With all heads bowed, all eyes closed very quickly. Very quickly, listen to my voice. All heads bowed, all eyes closed. Hear my voice very clearly. Everything that I'm saying only applies if you belong to him. As we close this day, I believe God always in his infinite grace and mercy desires to save people. I always close this by saying, if today is the day that you die and none of us know, do you know where you're going? Hear my voice, because this may be the most important question asked of you for all of eternity. You literally may die today when you walk out of here. The question that God sent me here to ask you is,
do you belong to him? If you do not and you're here today and you say, Pastor, maybe I've wandered for Christ. Maybe I've been to a lot of church, but I really don't have that personal relationship with him. I beg of you with everything in me as a, as a representative of him. While you have breath in your body, accept Jesus now. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, hear me very carefully. I'm not asking you to join a church. I'm asking you to join the body of Christ. If you are here, all heads bowed, our eyes closed. If you are here and you say, Pastor, I do not know if I know Jesus Christ. I don't have the assurance in my heart. But today I want to make him Lord of my life. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Will you just raise your hand and say, Pastor, will you pray for me? Is there anyone here this day? I ask you in the presence. I see your hand. Is there anybody else here? In the presence of a holy God, I'm not asking you to come down. I'm not asking you to join. You don't have to do anything right where you're seated. Is there anyone else who says, Pastor, that's me? I don't know Jesus, but today I want to get victory over my thought life. I want to get victory over my sex life, over everything that's going on. Is there anyone else who says, Jesus, right now I cry out to you to help me? Anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else? I see your hand. I see your hand. Anyone else? You're not, you're not raising that for me, understand. I want you to raise that before God himself. Anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else? Father, in the name of Jesus, you see those hands we have to close. Listen, I want to assure you who raised your hand, listen, I don't care what you have done. Hear what I'm saying? I don't care what you have done. If you will bow down yourself and say, I need Jesus. I know that I'm not perfect. I know that I'm not where I need to be. You are exactly who Jesus came to save. And let me, let me assure you this. As you sit there, all of us was in the seat where you are right now.